It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. There are many ways to showcase talent, but mostly the talent consists of singers and comedians. But my guest has changed all that. He's Keith Thompson, founder, producer, and host of the nonprofit The Composers Showcase of Las Vegas, whose mission is to serve as an entertainment forum that allows local and visiting composers, lyricists, and songwriters the opportunity to present original musical material. The Composers Showcase is celebrating its 17th anniversary on April 5th in Myron's at the Smith Center. For ticket information, go to thecomposersshowcase.com and you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What was the genesis of the Composers Showcase? A group of writers who were here in Las Vegas back in 2006, we were all part of what they call the Broadway West community. I don't know if you remember that. Do, but a lot of our listeners and viewers won't. So what was that? Well, what was happening is, is instead of headliners, what we were doing was the entertainment in Las Vegas was leaning toward Mamma Mia and Jersey Boys and Hairspray and Avenue Q, titles coming in from New York, a musical theater. So there were a lot of, all of a sudden in our community, there was a kind of an influx of musical theater performers, musicians, and ultimately a lot of us were writing. We were writing musicals that we hope to get opted and um, picked up and you know all that. So we decided one night we would just get together like a party and uh, play music for each other that we had written. And, um, and it was like, it was really simple. It was just a party after hours, but it was so much fun. It was really, really wonderful. And we just kind of picked up on the idea and decided we we're just going to keep it going. So that's what we did. And uh, it, it was a long, long journey. Because it, in no time at all, we had, you know, the writers of jazz and pop and rock and uh, all those other genres started to say, hey, we write music, too. And so we it, we became very inclusive. So what started out with just four songwriters doing three or four songs a piece ended up being 15 songwriters doing just one song a piece. Because and, and the it, there are so many writers, there's so much creative talent here in Las Vegas that the, the more people heard about it, the more people wanted to be a part of it. So It's interesting, too, Keith, that you know we always call Las Vegas the entertainment capital of the world. It's always been that way, as far mm-hmm. as back as I, I go. And yet, at the same time, it is a part of that entertainment capital that doesn't get the emphasis that it should. And that's where you come in with the Composer's Showcase of Las Vegas, because you're talking about original music, and you're talking about the writers and the composers who did all of that. And mm-hmm. how does the process work? And then we'll talk about how the staging and everything else goes. But how do you set it up so that you guarantee, A, that writers who have original work, lyricists that have original work, composers that have original work, or who have original work, not that, uh, but you want to make sure that not only are they having a chance to perform their material, but at the same time, you want to make sure that material is of a certain quality. Yes. So we, um, it's not an open mic. That's the first thing to understand. Right. It's not, you can just walk in and say, Hey, I've got an original song. Well, that leaves me out. Cause, uh, yeah, that's the way I would do it. <laughs> well, there are others in town, by the way, I'm not the only one, but most of them are open mics. And so that's great for them. But 
after you know years of kind of finding our way, we, we had quite a journey to the Smith Center. And once we got to the Smith Center, everything about the whole experience elevated. And so I vet everybody carefully. I uh, When people want to be on the showcase, I ask to hear their material. I ask to see, you know, I want to check out the writing to see if it's of a certain quality standard. And it doesn't have to be my taste, but I can recognize what is, I think, quality even if it's some 18-year-old who's writing some kind of music, right. I don't even understand. And there's a lot of that. But I can, I, I'm can, i so impressed, especially by the younger talent, so I allow them that. Then as far as how the music is performed, I kind of leave that up to the writer. Like they can play and sing their own material if they want to, or they can have friends come in and help them. Sometimes they'll bring in, like they have a band. Uh, sometimes I will help them because they'll have a demo where they have strings and they don't know how to make the strings happen. And I'll listen to it. I say, it would be really nice if we had a string quartet on this one. So I will participate by doing a string arrangement, which is one of the skills I have in my bag of tricks. So what that does is it elevates the production level of the showcase, but I'm always very careful to let them know this is not about production. It's about the music, the song, the quality. We want to know that this is original and that you wrote it. So that's it's it is interesting because as an audience member, you can get very taken away by the by the talent that that shows up to represent the music. And I have to always remind people that, uh, yes, the talent's amazing, but the the writing, it's all about the writing. So as you go through all the material, you mentioned, for example, you'll help out when needed the organizing of this and the helping of certain composers and lyricists. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of time. How do you how do you have the time to do that and everything else that you do? That's a real good question. <laughs> well, I make time for it. This is a passion of mine. And over the course of, like right now, I'm not doing a regular show. But even when I was doing a regular show, I was a Jersey Boys for eight years. I just work it into my schedule where I would uh, spend, I knew that I had a showcase coming up in two weeks and I had you know, a certain number of things that I had to be responsible. So even when I was doing a full-time job, uh, when Jersey Boys was running, I would make time. I had time during the day. I had you know time between shows, whenever we had a two-show day. And I could focus on, I do everything from uh, arrange seating for the artist if they have somebody special they want to come see it or I, you know, the media. That's, a, a, I think, an important point. I don't believe in pay for play. But a lot of places do. They'll, they'll say, you pay us and then we'll put you on stage. Right. That is not how we operate here. This is a labor of love. I consider it like to be a community outreach so that I want to make sure that it's, we're not, we're a nonprofit. So we're a 501c3. And that is an important point that we, we are not out here to try to make a profit. We're here to try to do a service to our artistic and entertainment community. And, um, and so that's, you know, it, it kind of then lays itself out a little bit. Uh, it uh, defines itself through that. So I am the service to that. And, then I, you know, I make a living doing other things. And, a lot of and other because, things. A lot of other oh, Well, a lot of other things, <laughs> yes. And I have to understand that because of the, well, the, they started calling it gig workers, but I don't like, really like that phrase, the freelance aspect of what I do. I'm able to manage my time accordingly. Right. And this is a very important part of my life and something that I've been dedicated to for a very long time. And the longer I do it, the more exciting it is for me, you know, and it just continues to grow. When you first started out, did you know it was going to develop as much as it has? Was the first two years or three years, was it challenging? And then it became almost 
it would have a momentum of its own? I had no idea. I literally, I'm thinking back to the the first year we were at this little seedy little club down uh, at a club near the airport. They would stay open after the shows and because the shows would go until about 10, 30, 10 o'clock or so. We would all show up about 1030. And, um, and it was, uh, you know, maybe 60 people could fit in the little club. And there was one piano and some pretty bad lights and uh, one <laughs> microphone. And, and the piano bench was broken. And so back then, this is 2007, they had something called a phone book. I don't know if you recall those, yes, but there was a very phone thick. book. Yeah, everybody had big, one. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, and so I'd have to borrow the phone book so I could sit on it to, to play piano. Who knew, you know, that would, 17 years later, we'd be at the Smith Center, but because there wasn't even a Smith Center yet. About a year in, the guy who was the president at the time of the Liberace Foundation came and saw the show and said, this is wonderful. Could you come do this at the Liberace Museum? They had a, a cabaret room in the back, and they would do, use it for exhibition shows for whenever people did the tours. They'd end the tour with somebody playing Liberace's spangly piano on a little stage, and it was a, a proper cabaret room. It was really cute. They didn't really, they had like track lighting, and uh, and they didn't have a good sound system either. So what I started doing, because I was doing theater, I had friends who were in the sound department, and they loved what we were doing, and they wanted to get involved in it, so they would bring sound equipment in. And so every showcase, we would have to load in the sound system, check it in the afternoon. I bought personally a, a little mixer, like 16 channel mixer, but it was analog. And, um, and we would <laughs> set it all up and, and, um, and do it every time. And, and it was, it, it, it was kind of its own animal, but we were doing it, you know, we, um, and we set it up and people continued like it, it because of the nature of it, the original music and the talent that would show up to be a part of it. It, you know, it was fun. And it was still like a little insider's party. And then a fellow named Joe Brown, who used to write for the Las Vegas Review Journal, the RJ, he came one night and saw it and wrote a big thing about it in the Sunday RJ, about Vegas's best kept secret. Because, you know, we had no budget. We didn't you know, advertise. We just uh, would tell people, you know, hey, we're doing this thing. All of a sudden, you couldn't get in. I mean, it was like, we were breaking fire codes, meaning <laughs> cramming people into the room. And so that was great. And the Liberace Museum closed about, we were there for about two and a half years when it shut down. And uh, there was something called the Smith Center that was being built. <laughs> and, and the guys from the Smith Center actually came to the last showcase that we did at the Liberace before they closed and said, you know, if the Smith Center was ready, we could move this right in there right now. But it's not. It won't be ready for another year and a half. So, you know, if you're still around in a year and a half, we'll talk. So I found a way. I met another fellow who was the um, the head of Cockroach Theater here in town. Mm -hmm. He'd never seen a showcase, but he was one of those people who said yes. And um, we, I met with him and he talked about it. He said, this sounds fantastic. Let's just do it. So he found a way to keep us going for a year and a half, found us a couple of different venues to go to. And we survived until I remember it so well when the Smith Center, I, first of all, I looked at it, 244 seats. How am I ever going to fill this room? <laughs> uh, and, and now, you, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a ticket. Sure. So it's just, I had no idea going into that it was going to turn into this. I'm so glad it did, though, because it's one of those things where, like, you're on the road and there's a hill in front of you and you have no idea what's on the other side. But if you get up high enough, you can see over the hill. Well, I couldn't see over the hill. All I could see was the road in front of me and I just stayed the course. 
And here we are, you know, 17 years later, doing very well. I don't mean financially. I mean that, like, just the last two showcases have been just so spectacularly wonderful. The last one we did was all women writers. I'd never done that before. So it was all, every writer was a woman or a woman had co-written the song. And then consequently, all the performers were women too, all the presenters. That was very exciting. It had a different sensibility about it, as you would imagine. It was a lot of ballads and a lot of strings because they all, all the, the women composers really wanted the strings, you know. Sometimes we'll have a lot of people who want horns, like big band and uh, things like that. Or we just have rock stuff, uh, guitars. And we actually had a didgeridoo once. Okay. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. Do you record the showcase and then do you provide a copy of the show to each of the performers? We record the entire thing. And then I have an editing crew who chops it up. So if you are a writer, give you access to your song. Right. We don't give you access to anyone else's song. So then the writer, because so we don't take ownership of it. We right. just do it for you. It's just like a service we do. I think we have like a $30 charge for the video crew to, you know, to pay them a little bit while they're editing. But they give, you know, they treat us like, you know, we're a community event, nonprofit. And so they cut us a wonderful break. I have a wonderful team that has just kind of assembled over the years. I've been through several teams, but the team I've got now is young people who want to be, want to get involved. And so I love that. What was the most unusual performer that you encountered? over the years. And when I say unusual, I don't mean it in a negative way or a positive way, just unusual for either the material or the personality or both. Well, we were fortunate enough to have uh, some very funny writers as well. There's, there's a guy named Danny Roquet who would come over from LA. And he was a friend of some friends here and he, he would come sing very funny songs. <laughs> One time he came just completely dressed. It was a holiday showcase. And I try to feature people who are writing holiday songs. Uh, so he brought over, a, he wore a Santa Claus suit. But we've had some pretty interesting and, how do I say, some might people might even call it wrong because they push the limits sometimes. <laughs> Those are the unusual ones. Also, I'm trying to think if I've ever had, at one point, there's a fellow named Richard Oberrocker here in town who is one of our first writers when we first started. And he, he's the musical director for Ka. And he actually had a show called Bandstand on Broadway mm -hmm. uh, that he developed at the Composer Showcase. So I remember one time he had one big number from Bandstand and he had like 15 singers stretched across the stage. And it, that's very challenging for our sound department to try to make that kind of thing happen in this space. So I would say those kind of things are the most unusual things. I have some really funny writers, and I always try to bring some comedy in, and um, without revealing too much. But um, no, that's fine. Saying as, long too many as, names. as long as we know there's some humor there, I'm in. So that's fine. So. I try to always <laughs> include some humor because I think we need to laugh. You know, that's really oh, important. Absolutely. So in putting the show together, that's one of the things that I also focus on is programming and how the programming needs to you know, have an arc to it. And so, so that it's not just a bunch of songs, but it's an evening experience. Right. So that's what I try to do. For those listeners and viewers who may not know of Keith Thompson, in I think it was 2022, you were named a Performing Arts Fellow by the Nevada Arts Council. And that's just a little part of what you've done. Could you tell us a little bit about your career so far in Las Vegas? 
because it's been great and you're obviously going to continue and prosper. Yeah. Okay. So as by trade, meaning by profession, I guess you would say that I'm a music director and arranger because that's what I do to make a living. But I am definitely a composer, which means that I write a lot of music. I've written shows, I've written individual songs, different styles. And so the Fellows Grant came about because um, right around, it was right just before the pandemic, I was trying to write some, uh, some grants with a friend of mine who knows how to write grants, I don't, who um, was trying to get grant money for the showcase because I don't know if you recall, we have something called the Entertainment Community Relief Fund that's part of our, our mm-hmm. initiative. We try to help the community as they were struggling because the pandemic shut us down. And I wrote a song that I got 50 singers from the community and 20 musicians and the video crew and the sound crew, everybody donated their time. And because we were at that place in the pandemic, I don't know if you recall, where everybody had to stay home. There was no vaccine. There was no masks. They were just stay home. And so from their homes, from their bathrooms and their garages and their kitchens, people would record bits of the song and we collected the bits and put it all together. And this video is on the website, the Composer Showcase website, the first page, whenever you go there, it's still there. And so that was like the genesis or the initiative of why we wrote for that grant for the Nevada Arts Council. We put it out there and added with some of my other stuff that I've written over the course of the years. And I just, it, it was an artist grant as opposed to uh, like an organization grant. Right. It was, and it was my friend who was helping me write the grants who said, hey, here's one, why don't you just apply for this one as well? And then I promptly forgot about it. As did they. They, uh, because of the pandemic, they dropped the grant that year. They didn't award it. Right. And uh, so for, and so about a year later, they, now they were, pandemic was moving, moving away. So they, uh, I guess, went back to their, you know, the year before and they looked at the applicants and I got a call to, hey, you just got approved for this grant. And I went, great. What grant? <laughs> no idea. Grant. I have no memory of it. Lou Grant uh, from but, uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show. Lou Grant. Oh, Lou Grant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I didn't know, but I was thrilled. One of the things you have to do whenever you get these grants, you have to do a, pro, do a presentation of, of the body of work that got you the grant. So I had to do a whole show of my material and I got like 10 of my fabulous friends to perform my songs and it was turned into a wonderful afternoon. I called it this next song. And um, yeah. <laughs> Where and was this done though, Keith? Was it done at the Flamingo Smith's library theater? You know, the Clark yes. County library yes. theater. Now, for, people, for people watching and listening around the world, they may not know the Flamingo library, but obviously it's part of the library district here in Las Vegas. And there's yes. a very strong off strip off downtown Las Vegas theater and performing arts community. So I want people to be aware of that if they're not aware of it. Yeah, there's a, it's like, so it, it, there's, I like the fact that we have places we can go where there, it's not all about gambling, not about gaming or you know, alcohol. This is places where we can actually do work. It's a, a little bit more, we can <laughs> think we're doing art as opposed to entertainment. <laughs> Although it's all very entertaining, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a wonderful afternoon and I got a good video of it. And so that was my, how you say, record, if you will, of what I what caused me to get the grant. When you got everybody together and you mentioned they were recording in their bathrooms and garages, just for the record, where are we speaking to you from? This is my home office. Okay. You see my library behind me. That's yes. all uh, books of musical theater and 
all kinds of music. Yeah, I, I just thought but, I'd ask, since you mentioned everybody's recording, everybody's so used to it now these days of seeing people in their homes or their apartments, not necessarily in their bathrooms, but if it works for the sound, why not? Oh, yeah, we had <laughs> people with candles lit and uh, people in their car. I, mean, I had people you know, driving around. It's, it's a... Yeah, you, you should uh, you should check out the video. It's really wonderful, and there's a, you know some some fairly famous people are in it, and then we got a bunch of celebrities to, in the long version who did basically they gave messages of hope to the Las Vegas community, saying, "Come on, you, we can do this. We you know we can stay home and and hang together and get to the other side of this thing." It's big reminder of where we were in March and April of. 2020 and how far everything has come and yet and just so you'll know I, this is my own personal thinking but people say oh vegas is back vegas is somewhat back there's entertainment going on now and you have all the big sporting events but it's not back like it was we're really still experiencing a lot of challenges with as an entertainment community trying to come back so as the composer showcase the first thing we did when we became a nonprofit was we set up scholarship because I thought that that was good. And that way people can donate and the money's not just going to go to, you know, putting up our show because the show runs itself. You know, people buy tickets and the ticket sales, you know, keep the show going. But with people who feel like they wanted to donate, they the money's going to go to a scholarship. So we set up scholarships. And then uh, when the pandemic happened, we set up the, a fund which would allow people to apply for assistance. So we, we started giving grants to people who were having trouble, you know, paying for their medications or making the rent or paying their car payments, you know, because we were struggling here in Las Vegas, everything shut down and our entire community was just devastated. So it felt good to be a part of a solution and we weren't the big solution. We don't give huge grants, but we were able to give enough to where people, you know, like I've heard people say, boy, you know what you did, you, you, you know, you know, were a bridge for me until we could get on our feet right. again. So no, that's good. So, are you are you starting to get inquiries from other states about how to put on a composer showcase? I have talked to uh, some friends in um, Nashville and also some friends in LA about the possibility of how to do it. It's just it's so specific to a community. Like if I was to go there, I would need an outreach. It would take a while to get the outreach into the community through people who were involved in that community because that's what it's about. Nashville has its own thing going on with like the Bluebird Cafe. And um, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's um, it's a night where they people just show up or maybe they're, I don't know if, if they're booked there first before they show up, but they have those nights where they have just, you know, songwriters. But I've heard people who from the Nashville community come here and look at our composer showcase and say, this is the coolest thing, you know, like it's it, it, as good or better than the Bluebird. So that's a high compliment to me. And I also have some friends who want to get this going in LA. It'll just be a, it can't be the same experience. It'll be different. But if, as long as it features original music and promotes, you know, writers in the community, gives them a platform, that's what we're all about. And what do you see as the future of the Composer Showcase? What do I see as a future? I see that, first of all, I know that we will continue for the on scholarships. Because the scholarships funds keep growing. So I want to involve more young people to encourage them to study the craft of songwriting, of composing and theory and things like that. So that'll be one of our big impetuses. We want to start doing some symposiums about music business 
and how people can better understand the you know the business of music as a writer. And and then I've always wanted to have some kind of a video concept where we could actually go, you know, like start broadcasting in a way. And because of the live stream options now, we can do that, but we have to be very careful about the rights. That's always the problem with electronic media. Is it's not just the rights of the writers, but it's also all the people who perform. There are new, there are different rules that have to do with you know electronic media and broadcast right. than there are with doing something at the Smith Center for a night. Well, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a great way to end it. My guest has been Keith Thompson, founder, producer, and host of the nonprofit The Composers Showcase of Las Vegas. The Composers Showcase is celebrating its 17th anniversary on April 5th in Myron's at the Smith Center. For ticket information, go to thecomposersshowcase.com and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Keith, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. Appreciate it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.